Welcome to the HJ Talks About Abuse podcast. In this podcast, we talk about sexual abuse cases in the hope it will assist listeners in openly discussing topics which have been ignored for too long. This podcast is brought to you by the abuse team at Hugh James. We are lawyers, so we do tend to speak about the legal aspects of abuse cases, but we aren't too shy to speak up about the broader issues faced by survivors too. Hello podcast listeners, I'm Alan Collins at Hugh James Lawyers in London and I'm joined today by my colleague Sam Barker. Hello. And today we're going to be looking at the independent inquiry into child sexual abuse, investigation into child protection in religious organisations and settings. ICSA, that's the independent inquiry into child sexual abuse, has been up and running for a couple of years now and has been looking into child sexual abuse in a variety of institutional type settings. It's been looking at various aspects of the Catholic Church, it's looked at the Anglican Church, that is the Church of England, and it's recently announced that it's going to be looking at other religious institutions. So perhaps Sam, you could give us a little bit more detail of where ICSA is going with all of this and why our listeners might be interested. Yep, no problem at all. Well, as you were saying then, Alan, Ix has looked into a number of different religious organisations and institutions over the past couple of years, as well as a lot of state-based and state-run care homes and councils and things like that. And that's what they've been looking into and responses to allegations of child sexual abuse within those institutions and organisations and also making recommendations to try and make it safer for children, really. But isn't there a gap? You know, it's lots of people, maybe of the Anglican faith or Roman Catholic faith, but there are other faiths too. Exactly. So there has been, what we would think is, a significant gap in the field in relation to other religious denominations, and some institutional religions have escaped scrutiny. So this is what this hearing is about. It's, um, as you said earlier, Alan, the hearing into child protection in religious organisations and settings. And one of the main reasons for this is because the Truth Project released figures which indicate more than one in 10 survivors who shared their account were abused in a religious institution. So that includes all religious institutions. So 11% overall. And of that 11% group, so looking at a significant number here, almost a quarter being 24% of that 11%, were abused in institutions that will be examined in the new hearing. So what are these new institutions? What are we talking about? Are we talking about churches, faith groups? What exactly are you getting at here, Sam? Yeah, so the way that the inquiry set it up is that they'll be looking into certain institutions that have a presence within England and Wales. And what they've outlined is that will include, but it's not limited to, non-conformist Christian denominations Eastern and Coptic Orthodox communities, Pentecostal churches and independent charismatic and house churches, the Church of Latter-day Saints, Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, Jainism, Sikhism, Buddhism and Paganism. So we're obviously looking at a huge and very broad range of religions here. So that's what they're going to be looking into. Okay, and what are your particular thoughts on how ICSA could possibly look at such a wide spectrum of religious organisations and communities? Well, the way that they're going to do it is that unlike previous hearings, which have involved specific case studies and a lot of survivor involvement, the scope of this inquiry 
examines these institutions on what the inquiry has set out to be a thematic basis. So looking at the management of child protection within these religious institutions and settings, training, policies and procedures, vetting and barring regulations, uh, responses to allegations of child sexual, sexual abuse and internal processes for auditing. So it's looking at those as kind of like the themes within those organisations. And the reason why it's doing this is to understandably not make the process too unwieldy and hugely time-consuming, because that would be the case if each was examined. So why would our listeners be interested in all of this? It sounds quite complex. Absolutely, it is. And, And I think that what we need to talk about now is that in reality how this kind of hearing is going to work. As I said before, I understand that if each institution, if each religion is focused on specific case studies and things like that, then we're looking at something that a hearing that will go on for months and months. So there has to be a way to manage it. But at the same time, I think that it would be a huge shame if the inquiry lost sight of and didn't hear from survivors of those institutions. And the the reason why I say this is because as we've seen with other hearings in relation to the Roman Catholic Church and the Anglicans, etc., all these religious institutions will publicly abhor child abuse and denounce it as a sin because it would be absolutely outrageous not to. And, you know, it, we're not saying that the people who produce that material are not genuine in any sense. But picking it up on what you've just said there, Sam, so if we've got listeners, let's say a listener says, oh, I went to XYZ Temple and I was abused. What's X going to do about it? It would seem that there wouldn't be much scope for those individuals to be given core participant status. There are There is scope for advocacy groups who represent survivors in respect of certain institutions to be given core participant status, in which case then their voices would be able to be heard. So what does that mean? Does that mean that a survivor who is interested has to join a group or become part of a group or try and get a group together? What, what, what are you trying to say to our listeners here? Well, I, I guess that the best way to look at it is from the examples that Alan, you and I have been dealing with. And, you know, we obviously represent a number of survivors from Jehovah's Witness. And in respect of an application we're making, we're doing so on behalf of a larger advocacy group of which some of those survivors are part of. And that is probably, the way I see it, the best way for people to become involved just by the way that the scope of the hearing is set out and there's not individual case studies. So how could a group make some kind of impact in this ICSA investigation? I think that this is where we really need to, or the inquiry really needs to look into survivor accounts. As I was saying before, all these religious institutions are going to say that they publicly abhor child abuse because it would be absurd if they didn't do that. And they will have certain policies and procedures. But what really needs to be examined is what's happening on ground level, the practical realities of being able to report the culture within these religious institutions, the cultures within you know, smaller churches, congregations, all of these kind of things that serve as barriers to people reporting child abuse. And then also, no matter what the policies and procedures of the organisation might say, in practice, they might not necessarily be effective at all. We've seen that, for example, in cases that we've had over the years with other religious institutions and organisations. So the involvement of survivors will really be able to colour the inquiry's understanding of how these religious institutions actually deal with child sexual abuse in a practical way and also how they understand child sexual abuse. There there could be a huge misunderstanding of it within some of these religions. 
And what do you think, Sam, should be the ultimate objective for this part of the inquiry? I think that, as we've seen with many, many, many other, um, and Alan, you have made these submissions before at the inquiry in respect of different hearings. I actually think that you made this this, this submission in relation to the English Benedictines, and, and that is mandatory reporting. Correct me if I'm wrong there, Alan. No, no that's fine. Yeah. Spot on. I'm glad you're paying attention. Yeah, good, good. Um, and and that is, that's, that's mandatory reporting. I think that's the way that we'll be able to address the issues. So, so for example, if we take Jehovah's Witness, you know, not only that organisation, but other organisations, but particularly the Jehovah's Witness, then that would obviate the problems caused by the two witness rule and things like that. Because if from the outset there was a mandatory requirement to take allegations of child sexual abuse to the police, then that, in my view, would be dealing with it in a robust and transparent fashion straight away. So I think that that would be where it's going. Okay, thanks, Sam. Very interesting. So watch this space, I guess, is the message. Thank you, Sam. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of HJ Talks About Abuse. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify and Google Play. If you would like to speak to Alan or I about something you have heard this week, or even if you would like to suggest a topic for a future episode, please do get in touch at aboutabuse at hjtalks.co.uk 